Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you. Whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Loretta DeFeo. Loretta is the founder and creator of Diziac. And Diziac is an award-winning, ultra-moisturizing beauty range for every hair type and every body. No exceptions, no exclusions. And don't we love to hear that? If you are a long-time listener to this podcast, then you'll know that we've spoken to the very best of the best in the beauty industry on this show, from Paula Bagon, who created Paula's Choice and was Oprah's go-to beauty guru for many years, Dr. Dennis Gross, Noella Gabriel from LMS, Dr. Murad, Kate Somerville, and Trini Woodall, to name just a few. And I've always been so delighted to tell these stories of how brands came to be because I'm usually speaking to brand owners who are a long way into their journey and they have a lot to share both about their successes and their failures and what they learned from those and how they overcame them to be where they are today. In this episode, I quiz Loretta about Diziac, which has achieved huge success. It's a brand rooted in fashion, beauty, art, music and current culture but it's still very much growing. So I wanted to ask Loretta what it's like to be building a brand from within, on the go, if you like, on the move. It's a young business and Loretta is literally building the brand product by product. And if you've ever wondered what it takes to create product, how you go about getting investment and what to expect when you start on the path to building your own brand, then you're going to want to listen to Loretta's story. As I mentioned, I've interrogated a lot of brand owners over the years, both on this show and in my career as a beauty journalist, and I learned so much from Loretta about the process, and I appreciated that she shared a very real viewpoint, not one that's been sugar-coated by lots of years of success, but one that is actually just very real and about creating a brand in the moment right now. All the links to Loretta and to Diziac will be in the show notes, but I really hope you enjoy listening to how Loretta has created Diziac and how it continues to grow and achieve incredible success. So without any further ado, here she is, Loretta DeFeo on The Emma Gunn Show. 
Well, this is very exciting. Welcome to the podcast, Loretta DeFeo. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm really well, and I'm excited to speak to you because this is this is, is essentially an episode that's essentially how to start a business in beauty, because that's exactly what you did and with Diziac. And I think often what happens is we tell the success stories of brands that are launched within the beauty industry through the filter of the success of them. And I think that sometimes makes the journey seem inaccessible to people listening. And what I like about what we're going to do here is we are going to make it accessible. Um, Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely accessible, definitely not easy. Mm. So, Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's the thing. That's what I mean about looking at this, looking at the business through the the lens of success. The the troubles, the difficulties tend to be somewhat rose tinted, and you can sort of gallop towards all the wonderful things that have happened. So, do you want to take us right back to the beginning? And I don't mean the beginning of the brand actually, because in my experience, a brand like yours starts way before on the shop floor yeah. or in the salon or what have you. And it's about having that perspective being within it all and then suddenly figuring out that there's a space that you want to fill. Yeah. Yeah. Mine does go way back actually. Um, salon floor. Well, I lasted one shift in a salon when I was 13 years old and that was the end of my hairdressing career. <laughs> um, but yeah, I grew up in um, Braintree in Essex. And um, what can I say? For my hair, there wasn't anything available for me there. Um, it's a very white town. And so there was no hair products that catered to my hair. There was no hair salon that catered, you know, that I could go to. Um, so throughout my whole childhood, I we had to go to um, London once a month um, to get, you know, our hair done or um, to collect products. So it started from there, definitely. Um, And then I went off to uni and still struggled to find someone to do my hair. So I was then traveling, oh God, where was I going to? Like Cambridge to someone I'd found in Cambridge. Um, I was with uni I was closer to um, London so I would be able to go and get hair products then but I was traveling from like High Wycombe where I went to uni to Hackney um, or Peckham everything was just such a mission Mm. (laughs) everything so that's when um, that was like my childhood and teenage years of running around just trying to get what I guess most people take for granted um yeah mm. and um I was relaxed I was relaxing my hair at the time so and I relaxed it to make it easier yeah um for my day-to-day living I guess and um and then when I think one of the hairdressers who I thought was really good moved away again I was back to square one just going to like salons that probably weren't up to the job break my hair was breaking off all over the place and um yeah I just I just found it very 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 stressful yeah I find it really I mean my story is completely different but as a teenager you had terrible acne before you had the kind of acne products that you had today I had that similar feeling of there's nothing in the shop for me 
or or the things that I am being directed towards is like a, a glass bottle of witch hazel or some yeah. gel that smells pretty antiseptic or medical and um did did it feel as though there was there wasn't the joy that you associated with looking after your hair that you wanted yeah um absolutely there was no joy um for me things like having to have my hair braided by my mum on a Sunday um I know people talk about that as a sort of bonding session um but for me it was hell (laughs) I wanted to go out and play my mum didn't even want to be doing it. We, we both hated that kind of braiding thing on a Sunday. Um, my friends, two of my friends growing up had swimming pools. So I had to wear a cap to keep my hair dry. Um, I wanted hair like them. I wanted hair like my friends who could just get it wet and then it would be dry again within a minute, you know, not have to go through sort of brushing it out again, washing it, a two hour, two and a half hour wash day after just getting it wet. So yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't any sort of joy when it comes to my hair. No. And I just wanted it straight. That's all I wanted. Yeah. Was that because if it was relaxed and forgive my ignorance, because I don't have personal experience of this, but you could use regular in inverted commas, um, products on on it if it's relaxed you wouldn't have to be using the same kind of products that yeah. are difficult to, to find I think that you kind of at the time like when I relaxed my hair you think that okay now it's straight but you don't have to do much to it mm. um you don't have to do as much but you still have to look after it and I would go a couple of I wouldn't wash it that regularly so it's maybe I was maybe washing it every other week because if I tonged it, I sure as hell weren't getting it wet. So it mm. would go all, um, what I would call frizzy. Um, but yeah, I can't even remember what products. Yeah, I think I would just use normal, well, you know, Tresemme or whatever <laughs> yeah. was on the high street. Yeah, products when it was um, relaxed. It does feel like such a long time ago now, but it's only been about eight nine years since I actually stopped relaxing it yeah mm. okay so when did so if that's the beginning of the journey and you mm. only lasted one day in a salon was that was that the end of salons for you and working with hair <laughs> just don't like other people's hair or touching it <laughs> actually what happened I think they just made me every time a piece of hair cut they cut someone's hair I'd have to sweep it up and I just thought this isn't for me <laughs> I didn't persevere with persevere with it, with it but um Looking back, I actually wish I'd stuck with it. I'd love to have been able to do people's hair now. If that was the case, I would be opening the salon, hands down, if I could, but I can't. Wow. So I'll never, ever open a salon. Yeah. Because if someone doesn't turn up, then I can't do their hair. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take over. Um, what was the question? <laughs> yeah, uh, so after after that particular... Uh, period the Mm. wanting to find the products what's the next stage in the journey of building the brand when did you think right okay I've got to I can't find what I need therefore I've got to create it I spent the next however many years not wanting to build or start a brand I wanted I wanted the big multinationals to bring out this brand so I was waiting I was waiting patiently for um 
you know, someone to bring out products that were effective on my hair, that looked great, smelt great, and that were was available in shops on the high street. And I and I waited, and <laughs> how the idea of Diziac first came about was that I started to I decided to go natural with my hair because I was kind of continuously let down by different hairdressers that I was visiting. Mm. Um, so I decided to, I call it taking it in-house, um, which I'm about to do with my nails because I've been going to the salon and it's, they're always chipping too quickly. So again, I'm going to teach myself how to do my nails so that I don't have to rely on someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I went natural. And so I started kind of just looking after my hair better and like, paying attention to it, researching ingredients, trying different products. And I was I was just always disappointed, always. Um, apart from a couple of products where I would import them from the US, which meant that they were, the shipping fees were expensive and um, it took ages to arrive back then. It wasn't like now. So mm. it would take about a month if you ordered something in the US to finally get here. Um, so apart from a couple of products, I just was always disappointed. So um, I, at the time, was working in music and that was kind of my world and met a friend who who you know, Joe, who um, who I relayed my stories to. And just on nights out, we would talk about, I would just say something casual, which she would, would be so shocked about. Like, I would say, oh, yeah, I went to the hairdressers and she left me for three hours this time. And she was like, what do you mean she left you? I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, she went to go and collect her kids and then feed her kids. And I was just under the dryer in her basement she was just so shocked by this. And I was like, this is so normal to me. Um, Even and, I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and oh, I've, got, I've got more stories like this. I mean, I'm not saying that everyone was like that, but at the time there was a lot of, it was very hard to find. It was before kind of Instagram. So it was, just, it was very hard to find good hairdressers. So, so basically, to- if you wanted your hair looked after you could take a punt on someone and you could be left in a basement because it wasn't their full-time job or they didn't have the facilities or... Yeah, or that was just the culture of it that you were just getting your, you know, that was just the, the way it kind of went. Um, obviously, there's a, things have changed now. There's some great salons and I know some amazing... And there are some amazing um, hairstylists out there, but unless you were told about that person, you wouldn't know. Yeah, so I, it was all, yeah. Well, I, it was I always know, a compliment. Yeah, I have uh, friends who have Afro hair and when they talk about going to the salon, it's completely different. Like for someone like me, who's got straight hair, fine straight hair, um, it's in, out, blow dry, wash and yeah. blow dry in 45 minutes. You barely even sort of register that you've been inside. But when they talk about it and they say, well, yeah, I've, I've got half a day. I sometimes have to get my head around the fact it's because it's a completely different service. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes that service is not as monitored. So I don't know what the word is, but um, even to this day, 
if my if my if I want to get braids in and my hairstylist can't make it, I I'm then still left calling around people asking them if they know anyone that can help do my hair. It's still a challenge to this day to get my hair done sometimes. Um it's making me think about um Beauty Backs and the uh char- the charity that Caroline Hirons made. Yeah. And what was the thing that uh the fact that what she called out one of the uh beauty manuals, the education manuals, because there was nothing in there that catered to Afro or black hair. Oh yeah, I mean that's just typical though isn't it like, so you can I, train as a hairdresser but yeah and, and get qualified but be unable to uh cater to a massive portion of the population yeah and i mean there is a it's it's quite a complex issue because i've been to white hairdressers before and it's not been and they're very well supposedly trained but they're not trained. Right. For me, um, I do feel like I like to go to someone who who has a similar hair type to me mm-hmm. for them to really know. That's just the way it is. And, you know, that's not going to be the same for everyone. But, but however, I believe that everyone should be trained in it 100%. Mm. Yeah. Well, one of my questions that I obviously have to ask you then is, is that a, a part of Diziac? Is that going to be an education piece? Because there are more and more brands and more and more people who aren't behind, who aren't supported by big corporations, who aren't with the big giants of beauty, who are trying to make changes like that happen. For example, I recently spoke to Tom Chapman and he's talking about the education piece to get people who do work in salon to understand the questions that they can ask if they're concerned about somebody's mental health. Because actually right. that relationship is really sacred and actually quite intimate. And that yeah. can actually be a, a dialogue that that person could be having where you could see red flags. And therefore, how can you educate and arm the people working with them to help them should they need it? So it's yeah. happening in lots of different areas in the industry, this very personal one-to-one contact with people. No, definitely. And, you know, as I said before, like things have ch- things are a lot different now, but for me, it was, it was probably sometimes a, bit, a little bit too, too little too late. So yeah. I take care of my own hair now, you know, right. apart from braiding, um, I look after my own hair. I, I literally cut it myself. I do everything myself. Um, but it is an important, I mean, having your hair done, it's such a, it's, it's quite in, it's intimate, isn't it? Someone's like touching you there. You want to be able to trust them. And mm-hmm. I think, I think especially people, a lot of people with Afro hair have had countless experience where the trust has gone. Yeah. So that's the salon experience that you had. And I'm guessing there are mm-hmm. lots of tales that would probably have me aghast and on the floor. But what about... The products, because you talked about making those treks to Hackney and what have you. Were yeah. you actually putting all that effort into traveling to get your products? And were those products in the end great quality that were doing exactly what you wanted? No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I had tray I had drawers full of half used products and I was always kind of believed I believed the labels where it said, you know. This is this is going to be the deepest conditioning you've ever had, and I believed it, and it never was. And I was like, oh, um, 
I didn't even think about shampoo. I just used to think of shampoo as something that would clean my hair. That was it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really. So I put a lot of weight on conditioner, um, and I wanted it to really do something, um, and it never did. And um, how it started was that I was asked to start writing for Stylist magazine, contributing, mm-hmm. recommending products, talking about my experiences. And it re- it went really well. And there was obviously a lot of people who could relate to what I was saying. Um, and in terms of products, I really struggled to recommend products for this magazine. And I just thought, oh, wow, like there was some real kind of half-assed products that were getting some really great press from me because I didn't have any other option, anything else to recommend. Mm. And I was like, what? they don't deserve it. Um, and that was the kind of moment I was like, right, here I am recommending products, talking, talking about products, been wanting these, I've been wanting these products for so long. None of the multinationals are bringing it out. Now's the time to do it. Right. Um, so that's when I kind of made this decision to do it. But actually, it was probably another couple of years after I made it. <laughs> you know, it's life and just, yeah, yeah and I have no idea how to start a business. No, like nothing. No, no idea whatsoever. So, well, do you know what as well? What's quite funny is I um, went online knowing that we were going to have this conversation. I thought, okay. If I was in Loretta's shoes X number of years ago and I had to, what would I Google? Okay, so I thought, okay, how to start a beauty business. And there are no, there are, and I've said this so many times before on the podcast, and that's why I love chatting to business owners, even though some of the stories are so, they're so successful that it's hard to sort of get the real steer on it, is that there's no blueprint for success when it comes to the beauty industry. And particularly if you're going down a niche road or if you're bringing new innovation or completely new products to the market or what have you. And so I'm curious about, right, I'm going to create these products with the thought, the tiny little ember that grew and grew for a little while. But how do you action that? Seriously, because I'm sure a lot of people have had great ideas who are listening to this and they're thinking, well, I wouldn't know how to make an idea into a real thing that I could then sell. Well, first of all, you've got to really, really, really want it. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people who have had ideas for products. Like, I've got about 10 ideas for different products, like not hair products, like just day-to-day products. I'm like, this was, why hasn't anyone done that yet? But there's not a chance that I will ever do anything with those ideas because I don't care enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know how much work is involved in sort of bringing something new to the market so um I think half the people probably have ideas but they don't really mind (laughs) whereas I I was like fully obsessed with with this with this idea did it get to the point where every time you were using products that weren't your own the the feeling of dissatisfaction with the product you were using would get stronger and stronger oh a hundred percent yeah that that definitely happened and a lot of the time as well, like scent. I don't know what it is, but I'm really like, I'm really obsessed with scent of products. Um, maybe because when I was growing up, all that was available was products that smelled like fruit or flowers. 
So I hate that. I hate that scent with a passion. That artificial um, fruit and flower oh, smell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All that fake, there's like a fake clean smell that I hate with other products that you get, but I hate it. Um, I'm just like, why, why, why not make it better? (laughs) It's so easy. (laughs) But that's like the real fun part, um, creating a scent. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just remember having to use these products and just like gagging at the scent, (laughs) having to walk around smelling like that. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I really, really, really wanted it and just started kind of, yeah, got on my laptop researching. There was definitely nothing at the time like about how to do it. Uh, well, maybe like a little bit of information, but I, I went to the library a few times, you know, that's, <laughs> it's like a proper old school, right, how do I, where do I even do this? And and I kind of like just started writing lists about ingredients that I wanted and how I wanted it to look, which was so important. Um, as I'd worked in music, I'd worked with a lot of kind of artists and I knew that it had to have the kind of 360 experience. So I did, I knew I wanted it to look as good as it smelled, as good as it was effective. I wanted it all to be a 10. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, started writing those lists and I asked around. I met up with a few people who were really helpful. Um, but still didn't kind of, it didn't, I still didn't have a clue by the end of those conversations. I walked away from both of those conversations. I remember thinking, I don't have enough money for this. Like, mm. that's all I knew because they, they really told me, helped me with that. Because at the time, I think I wanted to bring out um, a range of products because I was told as well that if you, you would only get, um, shelf space anywhere if you had a range you would never do it with just one product um but after those conversations with people I realized I actually can't afford to do more than one product so so I focused on the product that I wanted and needed the most which was the conditioner Mm -hmm. um and yeah just I can't even remember like it's (laughs) you know you kind of block it out a bit I just I was unemployed at the time. I'd been unemployed for a long time. Um, This was my way of going. This was my way of throwing every single caution to the wind. And I decided I was just going to go all in with it. And it was going to work. And that was, and there was no other option. It had to work because the only other option was that I would have to, um, go and move back in with my mum and I wasn't going to do that so we would last about an hour <laughs> <laughs> so this was my this was my only option um and at the time I was well I was applying for jobs that like it and like places like that I just wanted to be able to do this and mm. and yeah I think I was six months unemployed, but I was setting my alarm in the morning. I was waking up and I was working on it like I worked at a job. Um, so for a good eight, ten hours a day. And I I was, I was admittedly, I was kind of embarrassed that I, I was unemployed. So, because I'd always been employed, always. So when people asked me what I did, I said I was, I was founding a 
beauty business, but I was just working about to launch a beauty business. That's why I tell everyone. And it was, I guess it is the whole sort of fake it till you make it that it just happened. But yeah, I had, when they talk about, when you talk about visualising something, I guess, um, it, it, to me, it existed. I told everyone it existed. So I had to just keep going. Keep going with my life, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep going was, with my life. <laughs> it's a pride thing by the end. I've told so many people a lie. I'm just going to have to make it work. But yeah. it's interesting because, to me, I find this really fascinating because I think... Um, like I said, you go onto Google and you say, how do you start a beauty business? And it's like, right, you have to have the correct business skills. If you're trying to formulate products, you need a chemist. Uh, you need to be, um, you need to use your network. You need to understand your tax liabilities. And you, and it's very dry. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's all entirely accurate. And it's very dry. And obviously that is an important part of it. But what I like about the creation of Diziac is that it was, gut instinct and hard work and to that point of visualization it's not that you sat there in your home every day and went oh I can just imagine what it looks like and imagine how it feels I can imagine how it smells because that's not going to get you a product in front of a maid or in front of you it was about okay this is what I know and every day I'm taking a step towards what's in my head and I think yeah. that's the crucial piece of the pie that's exactly right and it and it was it was like that and also just my passion for it, you know. I do think that there are two types of founders in the world. One one that have the kind of business knowledge inside of it. So we'll do it that way. And that's worked equally as my way, where no business knowledge whatsoever. I literally I think I was on E in business studies at school. <laughs> I had to retake Mass GCSE three times and get a tutor to get a C so that I could go to uni. I've got two two in uni, which is classified as terrible. <laughs> um, because I was doing work experience, like at the time, instead of going to uni, I was working in the music company because that's where I wanted to, that's where I wanted to be. So I was not going to uni and just doing work experience all the time. So I went straight into a job afterwards. Um, so it's just a different way of doing doing things. I'm not sure if it's better or however, who knows? But yeah, it was just every day ploughing away at it until I don't know what, like, when things started to change, but until, yeah, I had the samples in my hands, I guess. So even that, yeah. I'm curious, where do you go to get samples made? Well, I worked with a cosmetic scientist, so we worked together. I met quite a few before I selected um, a scientist. And, yeah. I met up probably with about five different people and then eventually found someone who I wanted to work with. She got what I was trying to do. And um I'm just we just I just liked her, understood each other. She's still like I'd say a partner in business to this day. So, you know, we went then back and forth with product formulations for maybe about eight months. Um and then when I finally got it to where I wanted it, because you would you'd get a sample and then I'd be like, right, this feels really good, but it's not, it's, I want it thicker or, you know, I want the colour to be different. So you would work, you, it would, there'd be quite a few iterations. And when I 
finally landed on the one where I was like, oh my God, it's perfect. Like, it's perfect. Um, that's when I got about 50 more samples of them made. And that's when I started handing them out to people. And I gave them to people I knew, people I didn't know, people I didn't know, sister, brother, family members, like potential investors. I gave them to everyone. And everyone. I didn't even need to like chase for feedback. I was just getting text messages and emails and um, Facebook notifications saying this is brilliant. Like, I cannot believe it. Can I have some more? Can you get me a big bottle soon? Like, and that's when that's when I selected the final formulation. Yeah. That's when Very you know nice you've hit <laughs> that's when you know you've hit the big time with a beauty product when it becomes currency. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um and yeah, you then then I started taking in samples to I was sure that was like the kind of design element as well. Like I was obsessed with getting this um designer te- or artist Ted to do the um, branding for me. And when he said yes to it, and when I had that sample, I was like, Oh my god, this is scary now. I'm actually gonna become a founder, you know. <laughs> And <laughs> and again, at this point, I've still got no money. Like I'm still like just living off toast and um, doing everything. I like literally down to my last penny of redundancy money. Um, and yeah, that was that was kind of the moment where things went from just kind of idea level to this is going to be a business. Well, tell me a little bit about that because you've talked about the sacrifices you obviously made financially in order to put put it into the business. And you mentioned something about investors then. That's a whole other part yeah. of it that for a lot of people listening might just seem like, well, that's a black hole. I wouldn't know where to ask. How do you ask people for money? How do you get people involved? And furthermore, the additional question I'd like to ask you is, how do you get people to invest when you obviously need the financial injection of cash without them having any influence on the formula that you've just spent a huge amount of time making and perfecting or saying, oh, I think the design should be like this. Were you able to keep, get the investment, but also keep your vision very much as it was? Oh, yeah. Um, 100%. Like, that's none of their business. Like, (laughs) if they're investing in the business, then then they're investing in the business. So, um. There was there's never and never would be any input into how a how the business is run. There'd be advice if I wanted it, but or be what it should look like, um, and how it should be. That was the formula. That was what I decided on. And my two um, initial uh, investors who gave me just a little bit of money to get it going. Um, I knew them. I'd known them for years, or I know one of them. I'd known them for years. He was an, they are investors, so asked them to me, gave them, and the only way it was done, the way it was done was quite simply, gave them some samples, they used it, gave it to their partners, their kids, they come back saying they all loved it, and that was it. Easy. Um, investment is one of those things, it's like, I mean, there's quite a few people talking, like, giving lots of information about it now, and <clears throat> out there, like, beauty stack and things like that where you could find out a lot more information but 
still to, to me to this day, uh, it's a case of I learn every day. Mm. And um, I think that's where the instinct thing comes in. And I just kind of, there's no, the reason why probably there isn't these definitive guides on how to start a business because everyone's business is going to be different. I think if you followed someone's path to a T, you probably wouldn't, you wouldn't get anywhere. If I wrote down my business journey and gave it to someone for them to be in the same, to, to get to where I am today, they'd, <laughs> they're not going to survive. <laughs> they're just not. Because it would be it would be hell for them now. So that's why it's so hard to I think get you know guides about how to do it. And there's a million ways you can do it. Like there's other ways you can bring out a lot of people bring out products where they just do white labels. Yeah. Where they just buy a formula from the manufacturers and then stick their branding on it. Yeah. Which obviously I turn my nose off at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But you can do that. Um, and I decided that everything was going to be from scratch. So, yeah, that's my journey. And so if you could use a time machine and go back in time and give yourself any piece of advice that you wish you had known at the time, is there anything that you would go back and say, keep your eye out for that or oh, just avoid that because that's going to be that's going to be tough? There's two, there's two mistakes. I'm sure there'll be more, don't, don't get me wrong, but there's two big mistakes that I've made in, since I, the business is about to be four years old and there's two. One of the, none of them is that, that big or that big an issue, um, but one of them lost me a lot of money quite early on when I was quite boot, very bootstrapped um, on a photo shoot. And it was to do with the team. And I just, I'm, there was something in my gut saying this, this is not going to work out right, but I ignored it. And um, yeah, the, the content was terrible, you know, absolutely terrible. I had to, like, unuse, I didn't use any of it actually in the end. And um, it was a complete waste of money. And I just knew that, that person wasn't going to, I don't know, but everyone kept saying he's really good, he's really good. And I just believed him. And, yeah, I was really disappointed with that. So, and then I can't remember what the other one was. was the, were you disappointed more because the whole time you'd had a feeling, a gut feeling that this wasn't the right yeah. thing to do and you ignored it? Yeah, and the same with the finance guy who I worked with at some point and it, the same thing, like my gut was telling me something and then I ignored it. and. Those, those two things make me think that the only bit of advice I have for anyone ever is to trust those instincts. And if you don't have those instincts, then you probably uh, should get someone that does. <laughs> um, I remember kind of mentioning this before, like that I personally feel like instinct is just experience. It's not it's not some sort of spiritual thing. It is experience. You, you, you're piecing together really, really, really tiny clues based on what you know and can predict the outcome from that. 
so if you were to put that in other terms, like um, if you, I don't know, book a, hol- book a holiday and you think, I'm not sure about this hotel, and then you get there and it's and it's crap. Mm-hmm. That's because you you could see from like little clues, you know. Yeah. So that's the same with um, business. It's like it's from tiny, 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 it's from piecing together these tiny clues that makes me feel like it's not going to go the way I want it to mm. with that photo shoot, for example. Um, you just kept referring to stuff that I wasn't, what, that I didn't mean, um, like wasn't part of my branding or, and then on a day he was getting the models to move in ways that I didn't really, like what he was doing with them so I just knew you just knew so from yeah that's it from now on like no matter if my gut can't read it if I haven't got a strong feeling about it then that means I do nothing so I don't do nothing yeah but if there's a strong feeling then I trust that interesting and it's seen it's done me well so far so maybe one day it will be off but (laughs) so far that it's completely worked for me well, okay, so that's the advice that you go back and give yourself. What have you? One of the things that when you Google how to start a business is one of the pieces of advice is to have a mentor. Mm. So, did you have or do you have people who you can say, "I've hit this brick wall," or have you experienced this because this I'm going through it and it's rough and what should I do? Do you have mentors? Did you find mentors? No, not really. I'd like one. Um, but I do have people, 100% have people I can talk to um, who know way more than me about loads of different areas I know nothing about. And I can always find someone to talk to if I want a specific bit of an advice. Or, but um, um, a lot of friends um, are kind of working sort of similar uh, areas so I would speak to them but in general it's just me walking by myself sending myself insane for 24 hours trying to come to some conclusion about something it's not easy and that's when I talk about sacrifice and not being easy it's that mm. but <laughs> there is no switch off from it and it is long and sometimes you just don't know what you doing <laughs> when you got that first product so it was the conditioner is that the moisture it's moisture mask yeah yeah hydrating yeah it's a deep conditioner so you can use yeah if you can use it as a mask or a deep conditioner so I'm guessing at some point during the journey that was a goal that you were trying to work towards then you get the boxes you've got the product it's ready to go people love it and then I'm guessing immediately you set another goal, whether that's another project, product or something else. So has that, been, <coughs> has that been part of it as well, sort of the building blocks of the brand being built as it's moving, as it were? Yeah, I always knew I, what kind of products I wanted to make, and that's the ones that I use and need. So, yeah, I do. I, I mean, it was a no-brainer, wasn't it, that if you have a conditioner, you're going to need a shampoo. Now I've got the body conditioner, which is the body lotion. So, you know, I'm going to need some, something to wash before, you know. So it's, 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 quite, it's quite 
it's quite a no-brainer about how I go to the next step about with this with Diziac. So what I want and what I need. I want my full, you know, wash routine to be with Diziac. Yeah. Uh, how to, tell me about the name, by the way, because I'm just saying we're both just saying Diziac, Diziac, but I'm sure a lot of people will be thinking, what does it mean? Where does it come from? Aphrodisiac. Ah! Um, yeah, love. You know, love that it was meant to be love for the hair. And it was also kind of a bit of pun of, on Aphrodisiac. Um, oh my God, it's so multi layered. That's genius. <laughs> yeah, it's also incredibly hard to trademark a name. <laughs> There's a couple of big multinational brands that may have trademarked every single possible word you could think of. So it's probably best to make one up, um, <laughs> which is what I did. <laughs> That's and, I love it. Yeah, it's really, that's like, that was a really long process, the name. And I look back at some of the ideas I had, and it's hilarious. But, <laughs> yeah. And you talked about earlier about having the column in Stylist. And so you were talking yeah. about products. But a lot of people will be listening to this thinking, and we can say you've been featured on This Morning, you've been featured in numerous Sunday supplements and numerous magazines, products have. That must go a long way to getting the product seen and bought and just getting in word of mouth, getting people knowing that the brand even exists. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I've had incredible press, um, incredible like celebrity endorsements, and but I mean, it mostly it's word of mouth, and I still don't have budgets like other people do, but it's all just been word of mouth and people like telling other people about good products, and people also like hearing about good products mainly from their friends. That's who they will mainly take, you know, notes from. And I knew that. And I also knew that the that my products were a significant improvement to what was on the market. Mm. So it was it was always going to be it was always going to spread. The news was going to spread. Um and it would be very and <laughs> I think a lot of beauty editors, I assume, were probably like, oh, wow, this does actually make a complete, you know, it makes a difference. It's effective. Mm. So we've got to, we can't ignore it. I, want, I always wanted to make products that you couldn't ignore visually, you know, and effectively. <laughs> I like that, that, make products that you can't ignore and that just do what they're supposed to. Yeah, well, I knew I wasn't stupid. I knew it was a competitive market, even though there wasn't. I believe that there wasn't anyone in the space that I was going into when I first launched. I knew that the beauty world was competitive and very hard to get into at the time. I think it's a lot easier now. But um, and if I was going to compete with, you know, the brands that that were out there owned by big companies it had to be impossible to ignore and hopefully that's what's happened and what's will will continue to happen well yeah because the thing is if you're just standing making a decision between two products that say pretty much the same thing about what they can yeah. do for you 
and they're of a similar price, I think the instinct is to go with the one that might have the brand name on it that is really familiar to you. Yeah. And obviously that's, Diziac doesn't have that. Diziac is its own yeah. thing and is new. So it's getting people to put down, put aside maybe what they think will work for them and try what you're offering. Yeah, I mean, I always said that, you know, when it comes to the fact that so many people with varied hair, hair types like the products was, was that I said all hair needs hydration, you know, and the formula kind of did hit every single different hair type. Like I have people with fine hair, to people with thick Afro hair saying they loved it. Mm. Um, but when it comes to, when it comes to like, shelf space I guess and people picking up the two the two products how many how many products by a certain big you know again multinational um <laughs> do you want to try without them without it making a difference yeah it just it just doesn't and still to this day I've tried products that I guess are trying to be similar I'm like, you're still not hearing it. And you've got a million times more money than me. And you still haven't got, because I think that's, oh, without going too far into it, I think that's to do with profit margin. Mm. I don't care. You know, I, I, wouldn't, I would give this out for free if I could, you know. Yeah. So my ingredients cost a lot of money. And that's one thing I'll never cheapen down. It's always going to be effective, mm. first and foremost. You know, it's making me think as well that every every time I've gone out recently, my friends have said, feel my hair. Loads of them through lockdown, ha- their hair is just breaking off. And I'm thinking, well, I think I know what I'm going to start recommending. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they should try it. <laughs> I, I mean, we're it. talking all different hair types and friends who have previously had really thick, thick hair. It's just not growing beyond shoulder length anymore. And age could be a factor, but equally, I think stress and everything else in the last two years well you need you know you need a good routine and you need good ingredients but um I think a lot of people yeah during lockdown looked at their routine as well and if I look back to my routine six seven years ago it's I'm embarrassed what I was doing and how I treated my hair of course it wasn't growing past there Mm. you know I was the same it's now down there <laughs> like elbow um, length listeners it's elbow length <laughs> it's really long and I cut it all the time I just cut I keep cutting it because I can because it grows mm. back loads yeah. back in the day I didn't cut it at all one of the reasons probably why it didn't grow because I never trimmed it and I never got it wet uh, I was scared of water um the products I was using weren't effective or doing anything or have any active ingredients and I used to brush it really like like pack it really yeah. quickly and I see people like in the gym or wherever and watch them brush their hair or people who send me content I'm like oh what are you doing like <laughs> go easy you know and it's about looking at your whole it's about looking at the whole route yeah routine and I always said that busy act is it's about the foundation so the rest is up to you yeah yeah you know? I asked you a little while ago if you had any mentors and I'm going to ask you whether you would consider mentoring people. Um, under 18s only, probably. And 
Uh, I've had it recently where I'm helping quite a few people. I've helped out quite a few people with wanting to start businesses. And I've realised that they're in a, actually in the, they're actually in probably way better um, situation than I am, like in terms of just where they are in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if I was and I and I, I gave a lot of time to it, and I think that now is the I think from that I've discovered that the only people I really want to help are, are younger people. And everyone else can learn the hard way like I can. And it will, te- it will teach you everything you need to know anyway. You know, there's no point in doing it if you're not willing. It's a hard journey, no matter how you do it. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a good point. Well made. If um, I can do it, anyone, I swear, if I can do it, anyone can do it. But, <laughs> yeah. And before I let you go, I have to ask, what's next for Diziac? What are we likely to see coming out of the brand and from you? Um, I've got three products that are ready to go. So hopefully they will come out this year. Um, not all three, maybe two. Um, they're top secret at the moment. But you can probably guess based on you know. <laughs> <laughs> Um And yeah, that's all I'm concentrating on at the moment. I'm launching into the US this year. So that's very exciting. Just launched into the EU. Um, and I really want to push that and make sure that's doing well because Brexit was obviously a nightmare, and I hate mm. that. I hate that like customers there have to had to pay so much um, postage to get it over there, and it's just a bit of customs nightmare. So launched with Zalando in Europe, so hopefully work closer with them to make sure it does does really well. Um, yeah, just keep building and I want to get some more help this year and actually any help. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anyone's listening to this and they think that they, yeah, can, really help, they can help or want to work with Dizzy at, then get in touch. <laughs> so to that end, I'm going to ask you, where can people find you? How can people get in touch with you? Um, me or Dizzy at? <laughs> well, not your address. So it's like your social media and your website. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so there's Dizzy at London, which is D I Z Z I A K London. Um, I'm Loretta Forever, <laughs> which has been my um, handle since I don't know. I joined Instagram how many every how many years ago? And I refused to change it because <laughs> um, I was a big Winona Ryder fan. Um, so that, <laughs> um, Until you get the tattoo, um, you're not a problem. Yeah, fan. yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, um, yes, dizziac.com. And yes, that, that, that's, that's where I guess. Well, this is. And if you're around the Hackney area. come visit I will um, put the links to the website social media to you everything that we've discussed and the products in the show notes but it's been really lovely thank you for taking the time to tell the Diziac story it's been lovely to hear it oh you're welcome thanks for having me thank you Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, 
then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Bye.